0: All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. I am Dave Ahern, and I have Andrew Sather with me tonight, as always. Tonight, we're going to talk about something interesting. We're going to do a little something different. We're going to talk about bubbles. Andrew and I have an interesting conversation ahead for you. So without any further ado, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and take her away?
2: Yeah, so I kind of personally see a bubble that's going on right now. I know there's it might be kind of a crazy idea. I know there's some people who agree with me. There's experts putting putting their name out there claiming this to be true. I'm not the type of person to want to say yes, this is definitely what's going on, but this is kind of the way I perceive the world. I kind of see a, a sort of bubble going on with the student loan space. I just you just see it if you look at the way that prices uh, for education in colleges have really risen and the amount of debt that's just accumulating for a lot of the people that are my age and in my generation. And we haven't seen the effects of people really defaulting or anything like that as of yet. But it's no secret, you talk to the media, you go online, you talk to people out in the real world, that there are, the, the return on investment on a lot of these college educations these days is not what it used to be. And with the growing costs and the ease of borrowing, it's, it's becoming really, really bad as the days go on. It's hard to say if it will ever pop or if it's going to be more of a deflate thing or it could even continue into the future. You know, obviously student loan debt's different in the sense that it's not excused in bankruptcy like every other types of debt would be. So it is interesting to kind of watch this play out, but I think it makes for an interesting lesson and something that, number one, we can look back at history and see where there's other parallels with that. Number two, it's it's happening right now, so something we can clearly observe. Number three, there's a couple of things we can do ourselves or for our children that can kind of try to mitigate this and number four it does give extra insights into how intrinsic value kind of works and how i see the way that some of these big financial decisions that we make as individuals draw and have a lot of similarities to the type of decisions that you should be making if you're if you're going to buy individual stocks And it's it's not really black and white. So I think really drawing that to light today can potentially help some people who are maybe having some trouble conceptualizing everything that we talk about when we talk about intrinsic value and buying at a discount to that value and having the margin of safety and really getting the best part of buy low and sell high. So... I look at st- the student loan bubble and it makes me want to think about past bubbles. I think if, if you want to just, you know, we've talked before about understanding the stock market, understanding how Mr. Market works. Uh, I believe that was episode, what was it, 21. Yes. And I'm sorry, no, that was episode 20, but it's, A great way to really find confidence in the fact that you can understand that while obviously the future is always uncharted and everything is going to be new, there's always these dependable cycles, seasons, if you will, these things that are predictable uh, that are just really consequences and effects of a financial market something that's as big and as expansive as the stock market. So one of those things is Bubbles. And there's a great movie I watched years ago, so I I don't remember exactly what the name of it is. Uh, It was Shia LaBeouf and um, that old guy who's a great actor, um, and he plays like Goran Gecko or something. And there's a scene there where Shia LaBeouf's character is inside the, this real experience Wall Street dudes apartment and there's some painting or something like that, some decoration on the wall. And it's it's essentially resembles or makes up this bubble. And so, you know, Shia asks about it and, and he gets a whole lesson about how all the different bubbles and you know, I don't remember exactly if he talked about the tulip bubble, which is really the first recorded bubble that we've ever had but just basically how these bubbles always happen this greed always happens this kind of hysteria tends to engulf the market and we start to see the market really take a a form of its own and becomes this uncontrollable beast that uh originally can make a lot of people a lot of money but as soon as the bubble pops even more money lose even more people lose money than than originally was made and a lot of the wealth that was perceived to be made ended up not materializing for a lot of people because it just poof vanishes as the bubble pops. So I think the tulip bubble story is, is a great one. It's basically this idea that there was a a tulip, I think it was what in in I know it's not country dutch, but whatever the dutch Holland. people Okay, hall. Yeah, I'm American. Uh <laughs> the it was basically this, this tulip bulb that the dutch had and for whatever reason this particular flower became so valuable and demand grew for it so high it's not clear if it was you know something that everybody was sharing on their facebook wall and and that's how it caught on i don't know but for whatever reason the demand was so high prices shot up eventually it became the most valuable basically asset that you could own more so than whatever their currency was at the time. And so people were buying it up and buying it up and people were buying and selling it like crazy. And so it turned into what we now call tulip mania. And it's really, it took the form of pretty much every other bubble we've ever seen in the market, which is where you just see this crazy exponential growth that just kind of screams up to the top. And then it slowly loses momentum and then it just crashes down. Might have a little recovery in between there, but it really crashes down hard. And so just like everything we talk about with Mr. Market and the way the stock market works and how you want to be on the investor side instead of the speculator side, and you want to focus on price instead of focus on timing, all of those lessons are there because... Of phenomenon like this bubble that we saw with the tulip mania and other bubbles that we've seen in the past, and uh, while I'm not necessarily saying that there's a stock market bubble now, I definitely have talked on my Twitter how I think social media is a bubble, and there's I think there's some sort of bubble forming within the student loan space, and so you know we saw the bubble in the real estate, and while it, You can't buy real estate with a stock, you know, as far as individual residential real estate, you can't go and just buy one from the stock market. But we saw a bubble in the stock market and that real estate bubble kind of crash around the same time. So again, it's possible that we're seeing a lot of the same forces today. And the scary thing is you never know how long a bubble will last. But what you can know is that it will eventually pop because we've seen it time and time and time again. So instead of just letting it happen and just becoming a victim in all of it, why don't we learn from other people's mistakes and apply that to the kind of decisions we want to make today? And that way, by really limiting your downside, you're essentially increasing your upside because you're just making the total return of your portfolio that much greater.
0: Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending. Allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do, is my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com/beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's monarchmone dot beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. a hotel upgrade, lounge access, wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Yeah, absolutely. You're right on the money about that. It, you know, I think that's the thing that's really interesting about you know the the phenomena of bubbles is that there are so many different variables that can go into the creation of one and when one pops and you can see it through the history of the stock market and just you know society and the economy in general and when you talk about the student loan uh, bubble or not bubble i've heard you know over the last few years there has been lots of conversation about Maybe not necessarily the bubble, but certainly a growing potential crisis with the student loan, um, you know, situation because of what you were mentioning earlier with the rising prices of education and the cost of going to school has become so, you know, expensive. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of throw out some numbers for my own personal experience. Uh, you know, granted, you know, I'm a lot older than you are, and maybe probably a lot of our listeners as well. But you know, I started when I started in college in 1985. Yes, I'm dating myself. Uh, the my the school that I went to, which was in a, a small school in Phoenix, Arizona, the hour that the uh, you know the charge that they charged us per hour, which is how they did it there, was $65 an hour for a credit. So that's how much it cost. And by the time I graduated five years later, yes, it took me a little longer. Uh, it was up to 165 dollars an hour, so it you know shot up 100 dollars an hour in just five years, and that was you know, and I accumulated almost 35, 38 thousand dollars in student loan debt in my five years of school, and which I know is a drop in a bucket to what I hear when I was at the bank. I would hear you know stories of you know 150, 200 thousand, you know, that they owe in student loans, and my in, initial impression when they would tell me that was, well, they had to have been a doctor or something like that. Uh, no, no, there was a liberal arts degree. I'm like, oh my god, you know, you know, you talk about intrinsic value, and you talk about, you know, is that really worth it? And I, you know, I think so. Let me back up just a second here. Some of this that Andrew and I are talking about with student loans, we're by no means advocating that people do not go to college. That's not what we're advocating. What we're really trying to use this as as an example of thinking about the if this is a good situation for you. If you're if you're going to be going to a school that is going to be super super expensive, you know, I guess the the question I would ask is is that really going to be worth it for you in the long run? Is the intrinsic value of what you're going to be you know acquiring going to be useful to you in your post college edu- you know career? whatever it is you're choosing to do, you know, and unfortunately, if you're choosing to go into social work, for example, and you acquire $180,000, $200,000 student loan, unfortunately, social work doesn't pay as great. And so is it really going to be worth it? I mean, that's really kind of where the numbers come down to. And where this ties in with the bubble is that, you know, as bubbles increase, and as the mania you know, increases and you know everybody has to go to college. Everybody has to take out a student loan because like Andrew mentioned earlier, there is an ease in getting the money. The banks are more than willing and more than happy to give you that loan, you know, a student loan and you know let it you know build for fifteen to twenty years. and now all of a sudden you're out of school and you got a job where they're maybe paying you forty thousand a year, but your student loans are eight hundred bucks a month. Well, how are you supposed to find a place to live? when you got, you know, a mortgage payment for a student loan. I mean, it's it's almost impossible. And that's where the bubble or the crisis part of this starts to come into the equation. And this is what they've been talking about in the news for the last few years, is that there's a growing crisis with the student loans because the debt that the people are taking on to go to colleges becomes so enormous. The colleges have raised their prices to, you know, unheard of levels. And, you know, what used to be an affordable state college for you to go to has now become, you know, the equivalent of trying to go to Harvard or Yale, but you're really just trying to go to university of Wisconsin. Uh, You know, it's, it's not same. it's not same education and, but it's becoming the same price. And so that's where a a bubble could form. And that's what the government is talking about is how do they, how are they going to deal with this? Are they going to forgive everybody's student loans? Well, they can't really do that because there's such an industry that's built up on this that it would you know bankrupt you know quite a few banks <laughs> to say the least Fannie and Freddie for would be one um, so I mean there's just there's so many factors that go into this and I think that when we talk about bubbles I'm gonna have, let Andrew talk a little more in depth about bubbles but I just wanted to kind of bring in our perspective into what I was talking about with the student loans
1: hey you what's the best way to get started in the market Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it.
2: I mean, that does sound high to me. Like for 1985 numbers, like that big of a student loan. Yeah, uh, that, I I consider that big even in today's terms. So yeah, it's amazing. Uh, so again, like there there have been the bubbles in the past, and I want the listeners understand that this is something that's more frequent than maybe some of us might realize whenever pretty much whenever you have a bear market there usually was a bubble that formed before that so i think some great bubbles to look at were obviously the too big to fail in 2007 and the tech bubble in 2000 that i mean that when you talk about the bubble that was like the goliath of all bubbles you're talking about stock prices that just went through the roof. Valuations were completely ignored. There is several people that were quoted with just saying that, you know, valuation is silly and we have new metrics and new numbers and new ways of evaluating businesses. Of course, there was one particular fund manager who said that and his fund end, ended up crashing, going, I believe they went bankrupt and he definitely lost his job. Um, the stocks he were, he was, Investing in and that he was talking about that we're using these sort of quote unquote innovative and advanced metrics, all those stocks crashed and many of them did go bankrupt. So it's a story we've seen before. You know, we've seen throughout history, you see empires collapse, all all these type of kind of cycles, and you know, some things human beings have been great at kind of pushing the limits towards, and some things are just more just a natural state of the way things are and the fact that values kind of fluctuate, they go up and down and they can become really absurdly high in some cases. So instead of just kind of bemoaning that or just sticking our heads in the sand and saying that this is something that we'll just just forget about and just hope that it doesn't hurt us, instead we can take advantage of it and also understand how to avoid getting swept up like everybody else does i think the student loan thing really can make for a nice metaphor and example of doing that so dave you kind of touched on how you know mm-hmm. some some students and it's really sad they get into the type of debt that is common to doctors and lawyers yet they don't have the, that same earning power to be able to kind of dig themselves out Dave Ramsey has a great podcast about finances and he, he kind of uses the metaphor of, of having a shovel, right? So you have all this student loan debt. A lot of the doctors and lawyers, they might have hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, but because they're, ha- they're making like half a million a year, they've got a really big shovel. So they can dig out of that debt really a lot quicker than somebody else can. So I think for people who kind of, have maybe this sort of common sense, this financial sense, this kind of bigger picture viewpoint of, you know, some degrees really make sense, some of them maybe don't, and some degrees make sense at a certain price, and some of them don't. You can apply that exact same logic to stocks in the stock market, and that's how you can kind of make these intrinsic value decisions and buys and kind of be able to pick and choose between stocks and be able to say, you know, that one's more like a a useless degree. This one, Oh, I can see that compounding and, and putting me in a fantastic career. So, you know, if, if you have like a, like, let's use the example you were saying earlier, um, a student loan debt of like 200,000, but you're only going to come out making 40,000. So if you're, if you're making like the median, Or even let's say you're making like five grand a year over the median, but you paid 200,000 to get that extra five grand compared to somebody who didn't go to college. I mean, how many years is it going to take you to pay off that 200,000 with your extra five grand? It's going to be so many that you're like, okay, that degree at that price is extremely overvalued. So I'm not going to buy it. That's exactly the same logic that Dave and I are trying to talk about when we look at companies like, our, our favorite Amazon, right? A company that has just such a high PE. Their, their profits are so small, yet their price is so large that it's just going to be, they're going to have to basically walk on water and just explode profit out of nowhere. Or you're just going to have to wait until, you know, you're rolling over in your grave until you, you, you start to see the expected return that you should be seeing. When on the contrary, you can easily find, for example, I mean, I I tend to lean towards the STEM fields because I'm an electrical engineer. But let's say you could pick up an electrical engineering degree for, let's say, thirty grand instead of two hundred grand, and let's say that pays you twenty-five, thirty, forty, whatever above the median. Well, now all of a sudden, that's a great—that's really looks like a great deal because you're really getting a degree that's undervalued compared to a lot of the other degrees that are out there. The potential return on investment, that extra cushion of earnings that you'll get compared to somebody who didn't get a degree, you can kind of look at that as like a margin of safety. That's that's an expected return. And so you can see how those type of ideas really translate in the same way in the same arena as the stock market and there are stocks and you know i still see it to this day even with a really great bull market and stock prices just continuing to rise and and arguably a great economy in the past several four or five years even then i still see stocks that are undervalued and strong buys on the value trap indicator and even if you know, I don't know what the future holds. Maybe that won't be true in five years or whatever if, if things continue to rise, but you will always be able to find undervaluation compared to the rest of the market. That's just the way it is. I mean, there's, it's virtually impossible that all stocks will, will be all the same value at the same time. That's just never been seen. And I don't think it'll ever be seen ever again. So you can take advantage of these little discrepancies and see that, okay, this stock is undervalued right now compared to its peers, compared to the rest of the market. And that's can be a really powerful way to, again, limit your downside and also give you really outstanding return potential, not only in the coming months and year, but for really a really long, long time. And it can compound, and that small little advantage when compounded over enough years can just be huge, huge gobs of money and really make a big difference in your total portfolio return
0: it absolutely can and you know last week we talked about that you know the examples of the dividend uh growth investors you know that were just average ordinary people and the sums of money that they were able to accumulate over the lifetime of their investing was just you know it just was mind-boggling And, you know, these are real people and real numbers and things that can be done. And everything that Andrew was just talking about is straight out of the value investing playbook. And that's something that Andrew and I believe in very fervently. And we've talked about it numerous, numerous times. And, you know, it it, the reason why we talk about it is because it works. It You know, it does. There is opportunities to find great values out there and finding the intrinsic value and finding a margin of safety with the emphasis on safety. Those are all critical investing tools that you can use, especially during bubble season. You know, when, when you, when the market is getting overheated, when people are getting frantic or, you know, super excited about something and, you know, prices are rising, you know, these are when, you know, using your calm head and being logical and rational about things and using the, the theories and the strategies that Andrew and I have talked about, you know, that's when they can help you limit your downside. You know, we talk a lot about the margin of safety and the emphasis on the safety, you know, and when, when you're talking about bubbles, you know, when you look at a lot of the great value investors through the years, you know, in particular, the last two bubbles that we were mentioning with Andrew was talking about the, the 07 and the one in 2000, you know, the, a lot of the great value investors, you know, Buffett, Munger, you know, Thank you. Seth Garman, uh, Joel Greenbutt. Yep. A lot of those guys sat pat during those periods of times or when they did buy things, it was very minimal. And it's because from experience they saw that, you know, people were going crazy and doing, well, frankly, dumb things. You know, the fund manager that Andrew was talking about, he got full of himself. He thought, you know, money was easy, everything was easy and it was easy to buy stocks because everything just went up. And it is easy when that kind of thing happens, but that's also when you're going to lose everything. And when you're not being smart and when you're not being patient and diligent and doing the right things, that's when you're going to get burned when, you know, I had somebody tell me a long time ago, you know, if it's easy, be skeptical because it shouldn't be easy. And he's right. You know, it shouldn't be easy. You know, doing what Andrew and I talk about, it's not easy, but it's the right way to go and it's a safe way to go. And when you're investing, safety is all about that's what that's what this is all about is, you know, it's not about going for the big home run. It's about finding, you know, the safe things that you can invest in because those are the ones that are going to compound your wealth over time. You know, we've talked time and time and time again about, you know, these frankly boring companies that have great intrinsic values that are a lot of times beaten up or downgraded by the market or poo pooed but those are the ones that are bringing home the bacon so to speak for the people that invest in them. You know, Coca-Cola is by no means a sexy company, but it's making money, a lot of money for my friend Warren Buffett. So, you know, I think that what Andrew was talking about was just so spot on and it's, you know, it's such great advice, it's something that you should, you know, seriously consider when you're thinking about, you know, investing in your future when you're talking about, you know, a student loan. You know, the the examples that he was giving about, you know, the different degrees that you can go into, again, we're not advocating you don't go to college, but we are what we are talking about is thinking about how the price of what you're going to pay for that college can affect your future, just like when you're investing. You know, when you think about the companies and the stocks that you're going to buy into, you know, that's investing in your future, and that's what we're here to try to do, is help you learn how to do
2: that. Yeah, and I, I love to harp about Dividends and how investments are essentially just cash flow streams that you're really creating for yourself and income streams. And I think the intrinsic value kind of metaphor that I'm trying to present today really reinforces that and kind of brings as like this kind of obvious evidence. Just even think about when a company is hiring you, right? Every, you know, obviously every employee needs to contribute to the company's bottom line and create profits and ask anybody who's in HR or in finance, every employee is going to have this range, this salary range that they're willing to pay for, you know, to keep, you, you know, you, you, you ration out these raises and, and promotions to keep these people, company, company men or company women for as long as they can. But you know that, that, that's the price that the company's paying, but then there's an intrinsic value of how much profit you're bringing to the company with however many hours you work. And so they're making those type of intrinsic value calculations for themselves with every employee that they have. That's, that's basically the, the whole point of their finance department. So if if it's, it's up to you, I mean, it's like you can kind of close your eyes and pretend none of this is happening, but whether you want to admit it or not, the game is out there and there's, Whenever I mean the the quotes the the saying goes is that everything is negotiable, right? And so, in a sense, a lot of things in the world, if not everything in the world, the value of that is negotiable as well. Beauty can be in the eye of the beholder, and things like demand can really push prices up and down. And obviously, the same thing happens and is applicable to stocks. So, really, if you can learn that skill for yourself, learn it from. Principles that have been proven and really, if you just look at the track record of some of the most successful investors, the investors Dave just mentioned, that's kind of big proof right there. But learn how they value companies. Don't learn how the reporter who just, you know, jumps on CNBC, puts on some makeup and, and a suit and says all the talking points and then goes home from their nine to five to forget about it. Don't take their intrinsic value calculations. Don't take the analysts, the buy side, the sell side analysts, the ones who, again, are just going there for a nine to five and then going home and completely forgetting about it. Be careful what your intrinsic value calculation is and make sure that it's a prudent one and one that is based on the right principles and then use that logic and use that basic common sense and intuition and find the companies like the big boring companies that Dave talks about. The ones that maybe aren't receiving that much attention, but a a look at their balance sheet shows, oh, they have a lot of assets. Oh, they don't have that many liabilities. Oh, their, their earnings are actually growing year over year. Sure, they're not doubling, but we're still seeing nice growth. So those are the type of things you want to look for. And those are the type of things, again, you won't see in headlines, blog posts, the internet, you know, newspapers, TV. They're not going to write those in articles because it's not entertaining. You know, nobody wants to read about numbers on a 10 K. So that's why there's a lot of potential there. And for the student, pun intended, I guess, who has the patience to really kind of dig into these numbers, understand that this is a skill I can learn, I can master, and then I can use this for every stock in the stock market, take that time and then really evaluate the stocks that are out there. I think there's just fantastic potential out there for somebody who wants to do it. And I think you can do it because take my story. I was... Fresh out of college, just starting my own nine-to-five career, and I didn't know anything. I didn't know a thing about the stock market. All I knew was that, you know, oh, there's a channel. There's some channel. I probably didn't even know what the channel was, but, you know, there's these green arrows and these red arrows and people who talk really fast and these numbers that fly across the screen that reminds me of Sports Center, and that's really the extent that I knew of the stock market. And then I ran into a mentor at my job who kind of directed me in the path to say, hey, man, you're know you going to start to make a lot of money now. And in his own experience, he was able to do some really great things with his wealth by investing. And so he taught me some basics like dollar cost averaging, diversification, the the idea that you want to have a long-term plan. So I started to dig into it and I was like, huh, a lot of this does make sense. So slowly but surely, I was able to Pick up a book, find out that like, hey, this makes sense. Hey, it's not too bad to read, and then pick up another one, and then pick up another one, and then just within a short time, I mean I don't want to say like I was some sort of expert within a year, but the the I, I wanna say that the concepts aren't like you don't have to get a PhD in order to understand them. There's a lot of just real common sense that's just waiting to be unlocked that once you read it you something can kinda click and you can be like, wow that's that's really how this works and while wow, there's a lot of opportunity here and there are entire industries where you know the the people who work in the companies that are taking investment money from us they don't necessarily want us to pick up the skill of being able to buy stocks and be able to manage our own portfolios so you know through all that and seeing all the different potential and reading a lot of the books and seeing how a lot of these real successful investors all basically agree with each other in this field that is now called value investing. It really gave me a lot of hope. And I, now I've started to see the potential within my own portfolio. You know, you start to see dividends and you you see your number of shares as, as you reinvest them. You see that that share number just continue to grow and you start to see your portfolio numbers and the total value continue to grow. And you see opportunities still out there, and you can see just the way that you know even in it's it's been two and a half years since I started the e leather and that's the the personal i r a account that I started and that's gonna track all the newsletter recommendations that I'm making every single month and even in that short time period, I've seen stocks rise and fall extremely fast, you know these even though we haven't seen a crash like 2008 or 2000, you still see these stocks quickly move and go out of favor and in favor really, really fast. And so when the next bubble quote unquote pops, I think you could, you will see that happen at an even greater scale. So to be able to stand up and have my feet planted on the ground and say, you know, all this could go on and all this has been going on yet my portfolio remains strong i feel confident in my portfolio and i know it will weather the storms because i put the foundation and the roots down that gives you this this just you know we we strive for financial freedom why do we want freedom it's because it gives us this peace of mind and i think having the right strategy and having your portfolio built on the idea that you're going to be able to weather a storm and limit your downside and really just separate yourself from the chaos and the insanity that is the stock market, it really can bring this feeling of relief and this feeling of confidence that moving forward, I have a great strategy that will potentially make me great returns in the long run. Once you can understand that and internalize it, it, it's, it's really a great place to be but be- before we wrap up I-, I did promise you know not that i have all the answers or whatever but i think there's one thing that especially if you're thinking about your kids or your grandkids and you're concerned about the student loan bubble crisis whatever you want to call it a quick simple thing you can do in like 5 minutes and I-, I made a youtube video about this probably back in like 2014 is you can just open the 529 it's uh specific college savings account and the process that you go through to open one of those is the exact same as you would if you're opening just a regular brokerage account, one to just trade stocks or even like an IRA, a Roth IRA. It's all the same process and it's something that you can start to, you know, you can buy whatever funds are offered for that 529 and I I know there's tax advantages and all these sorts of things and that's one way you can kind of set some money aside for somebody that you care about, one of your kids. I don't even know if you can do it for a niece or nephew. I'm assuming you probably could. But it's something that you can kind of give these kids a jump start and really help them out from your own wealth. So I I think it's a, it's a cool little tool that you can use and, and something that you can kind of pass along to maybe – you were fortunate to where you didn't have the student loan crisis hit you as hard. You can kind of pay it forward to somebody else and really help the future. And who knows if maybe if everybody did that, (laughs) you wouldn't have as many people borrowing student loans and and maybe prices could fall to something that's a little more reasonable. Who knows? I don't know.
0: All right, folks. Well, thank you very much for listening. That's going to wrap it up for us tonight. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on bubbles and student loans and intrinsic value. Andrew had a lot of great advice and a lot of great points tonight. I think he was really on the mark tonight. So I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off, and we will see you guys next week. Have a great one.
1: We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way, with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. dot
0: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino dot
1: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy.